If you find value in the show, please share it and review it. If you want to support the show even further, you can leave a tip or set up recurring support via the links in the show notes or on the website. Thanks again for listening, sharing, and learning with me. Now, on to this week's show. Welcome, welcome. This is Talking to the Internet. It is my privilege today to have Mike Schmitz on the show. Mike is a podcaster. He does the shows Focused, Bookworm, and The Intentional Family. He's the executive editor of The Sweet Setup. He's a video creator, and he is a productivity guru. So, Mike, thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for the intro. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, so, Mike, the show, the nature of the show is we want to know about you. We want to know about your journey to talking to the internet. You know, just to be sure, just to be clear, talking does not mean actually talking, which I know you do. Uh, it means communicating with the internet. Um, so, can you tell me the story? Can you tell me the journey? How you got to the first content you ever put out there on the internet? Yeah, uh, I was working for a family business which is a software business uh, that does assessment and skill building software primarily for special education. And I was getting into productivity, just trying to squeeze extra hours out of my day because I was married and had young kids at home and uh, had trouble getting my work done and then also leaving work at work. So I started poking around with the different productivity sites, which led me to the Mac world, the Apple world, uh, tools like Text Expander, Keyboard Maestro, et cetera, stuff like that. And I uh, was playing around with a bunch of stuff, started a, a website, which I think I only posted to once called Semi-Pro Workflows, uh, because I, I don't like the whole expert branding with stuff. Uh, I just am trying to uh, you know do things a little bit better than than I did yesterday. Get 1% better, as James Clear would say. And mm -hmm. so uh, I was messing around with stuff, and I recorded a quick screencast just using the, the built-in mic on my computer and walked through like how I used Text Expander. Looking back at it now, it was incredibly awful, but there wasn't a whole lot of other stuff out there at the moment. I had posted that, completely forgot about it, and I don't think anybody else other than a handful of people really stumbled upon it. Uh, so it was kind of surprising to me that after a, after a while uh, of working at the family business, uh, realizing that uh, I wanted to do something on the side regarding productivity. Uh, I was teaching Bible college at the time, and uh, the class I was teaching was personal management. So I'm going through the, uh, the, the Bible, and I'm reading all the uh, reading all the the principles about stewardship, and I'm lining that up with everything I'm passionate about in terms of productivity. And I realize there's a lot of synergy here. Feel mm -hmm. like I've got this message bubbling up inside of me, and felt like I needed to write a book. And I knew nothing about writing a book, so I decided at that point that I was going to just start blogging. I was going to get up early every day and write for an hour before I went in to the office publish it, did that for a couple of weeks. And that really was the first stuff that was visible on the internet. But it was only about two weeks of doing that when uh, one of the companies that I was following and reading, Asian Efficiency, had posted on Twitter that they were looking to hire somebody. And at the time, I was not interested in a position, but I reached out just for more guest, as a guest posting opportunities, like just to get more yeah, reps. Yeah. Uh, and mm -hmm. they got back to me and they said, well, we don't really do that sort of thing, but if you have anything, send it our way. And so uh, I sent them my blog. They said, hey, this looks really good. We can tell I read a lot of the same books, a lot of the same mindsets. We want to give this a shot. And then when I was talking to them, finalizing that deal, they brought up this video that I had recorded on semi-pro workflows. <laughs> they're like, okay. hey, can you do that sort of stuff too? I'm like, well, I, I guess, you know, that was pretty bad. I'm kind of ashamed that you found that. But uh, that was really the the thing that got me into screencasting, which is a lot of the stuff that I do now. I do a lot of writing and things too, but um, that was a big part of my my publishing and talking to the internet journey. Okay, so so what was the name of the blog that you originally started? Because I assume it's not the one that you have right now, is it? 
No, I think it was just Mike Schmidt stopped me. Uh, to be honest, I don't even remember what the name of the blog was because I started doing that. And then uh, once I got some momentum, I actually just started writing for the book itself. And it took about eight months for me to finish and self-publish that book, which was called Thou Shalt Hustle. Looking back on it, I'm not sure I like that title because I, my definition of hustle is very different than the Gary V's of the world. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that. But um, and I realize I'm I'm never going to win that that fight. But um, I'm proud of the the work that I did. I do want to go back and update it at at some point. Um, but basically, my writing after I started working with Asian Deficiency, you know, my my writing was either published at on that blog or it was going towards the development of the the book. Uh, and yeah. that actually the Asian efficiency thing, um, that turned into kind of a new career path for me that I hadn't really expected, uh, because after doing that for a while, they offered me a, a side job. It was like, a on this bigger project that they were working on the OmniFocus premium post, it was pretty screencast heavy and mm-hmm. it was a video course that they, they sold. So I worked on, worked on that. And then they offered me a, a part-time a salaried position. And then eventually that was a full-time position, which I turned down initially because I still didn't want to disconnect from the the family business. Uh, and then just over time realized that that's really where I, I loved that. That's what I love doing. I loved writing about that stuff. I love helping people make the most of the time and the talent that they've got to work with people in my position, you know, who are maybe trying to eke out a little bit more time to spend with their families. That's really what what gets me going. So eventually made the leap, joined them full time. And uh, since then, I've I've moved on to uh, the suite setup. I'm executive editor there. And I do the podcast that you, you mentioned. So uh, kind of a crazy journey the last several years, but also it's kind of cool. And I hope it encourages people who would be listening to this. So like you never know where those opportunities are are going to lead. I really had no idea I was going to be in this position and have people look up to me as a voice in the productivity space, even a handful yeah. of years ago. So, so I, I'm most familiar with focused and the intentional family, right? Um, uh, bookworm, I'm not as familiar with, but, uh, and then I'll, I'm, I'm familiar with the suite setup. So as executive editor, I can see you doing more management, doing more overseeing others work. Right. Whereas with something like focused, you know, you're, developing the ideas, you and your co-host, right? You're developing the ideas, you're figuring out what to do, and then you're actually researching and, and producing the content. Is it is it accurate? Is what I'm saying correct, right? The, where as the sweet setup editor, you're doing less of the actual work and more of the management side. Is that is that true? Uh, yes and no. I mean, the, the sweet setup is a fairly small team. And the people who write for the sweet setup are pretty smart folks. So for the most part, it's, you know, we decide what we're going to write about and then people write what they're excited about. And so you still get the, you can still get the right. Like, do you still have writing assignments as as the executive editor? Okay. Yeah. I would probably go nuts if all I was doing was managing people. Uh, I prefer that was, that was why, (laughs) yeah, that was why I asked the question, right? Cause I was like, well, how was, was that a hard transition, but you're still getting to write, which is good. Okay. I'm still getting to write. And also like with the, I've been full-time with the suite setup now for about a year and a half. And, uh, we have released several video courses in that time which are brand new uh, and they're more hybrid productivity focused as opposed to just purely app focused. Like here's how you, all the tutorials on how to use a specific application. It's like the Mm -hmm. last several ones that we've done, mastering mind maps uh, was the first big one that I was kind of architecting. And that's all the conceptual stuff about how you would even use mind maps and a bunch of workflows for not like using them in a particular application, although I use MindNode for just about everything. Mm-hmm. But it's not, you don't have to use MindNode in order to understand like this is how you take book notes in yeah, a, exactly. a mind map. Uh, since then, we've done time blocking, we've done uh, habits, we've done Calm Inbox, which is email re- related and again, not tied to a specific application. So I think my joining that team has kind of helped or maybe even forced the move in that direction. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I feel like that's more where we should be long-term. Uh, when you make a course on a specific application, 
the developers will update things and you are constantly having to update in order for it to yeah. still be relevant. Whereas this stuff is more evergreen because it's conceptual and, you know, managing your inbox, that's not, that's not changing every six months, like the right approach. I, even though a lot of people are looking for that sort of thing. So like with Calm Inbox specifically, uh, some of the feedback that we've gotten around that is like, it falls into two camps. It's either, oh my gosh, this is, this is unbelievable. It completely changed my life because it's the first time somebody has been given permission to disconnect from their inbox and they realize that they don't have a moral obligation to respond to everything that comes in within 10 minutes. Exactly. Or there's yep, people exactly. who are like, oh, people have been saying this forever. <laughs> like, well, yes, <laughs> you're right. Like people have been saying this. Uh, but there's a, a lot of people who haven't listened <laughs> yeah, or haven't heard or yeah, whatever it is. Like there's different audiences. Yeah. Yep. That makes, that yep. makes total sense. All right. So, so you're writing, um, your book. Are you producing a podcast yet? For the faith-based productivity stuff? The, in, no, no. In, ge- in general, right? Like, so you're, you're, you're working with Asian efficiency. You're writing your book, gotcha. right? We're yep. kind of backtracking a little bit. Um, have you started producing podcasts yet or anything like that? No. Once I joined the Asian efficiency team, I was a big fan of podcasts and I was championing for us to start a podcast. Uh, We eventually did, but I am actually very introverted and anybody who listens to any of my podcasts may find that very hard to believe, but I prefer to be behind the scenes Running the sound, not on stage. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So when we launched the podcast, there was another guy who was working there at the time, Zachary Sexton. He was the host, and he was the one who was recording everything. I was doing all of the editing. I was doing prepping all the the posts that were going to go live, all the the show notes and everything. I I made sure that the audio got delivered at 6 a.m. Central Time every single Monday morning. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. um, but I wasn't on the show other than a handful of episodes, and every time I did it, I was kind of terrified. Okay. <laughs> uh, Zach left the company around episode 120, I want to say. And at that point, we were kind of in a identity crisis, like... Who, what, what, do, what do we do here? I mean, Zach was the personality for the show. Do we just like take it a different direction with the people that we have? Do we find somebody else who can do it? Do we say we don't have the people anymore and just shut it down? And at the time, it was about a million downloads. Um, so it was successful, but not changing, changing our world necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a lot of work every single week. Uh, and I remember going to Tan, the CEO, and being like, I think maybe I can do this. Would you mind letting me try it for a while? He's like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I joined a Toastmasters group uh, and immediately just started getting over the fear of talking in front of people. And once I started doing that in person, talking into a microphone became a lot easier. Okay. All right. So I first met you, if you can say met, right? Like I first heard about you, listened to you, whatever it was through Focus, right? So I came from Mac Power users because very similar to you, I wanted to figure out how to do my world better, right? And and make more productive use of my time. Um, I loved Apple technology, right? So it's like, okay, I, I mixed those two together. And David, you know, talked about oh, starting a new show, Right. So it's like, that's how I met you is I met you through focused. How did that relationship or how did that connection happen? <laughs> yeah. So uh, while I was working with Asian efficiency, there was a big emphasis on personal growth. And I started reading a bunch of books. Uh, I also wanted somebody to hold me accountable for reading the books so I reached out to somebody that I had actually interviewed for the productivity show, Joe Bulig, who he and I just kind of hit it off right away. And uh, I reached out to him, be like, hey, been thinking about starting a podcast uh, uh, with just reading these books and talking about them. And it might be cool. We could hold each other accountable, do what we said we were going to do. You interested? He's like, yeah, that, that'd be great, actually. So we started Bookworm. And 
the goal behind Bookworm was, you know, if other people listened, that'd be great. But we just wanted to read more books. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The more books that we read, the more dots I had to connect and the better everything that I created for the internet was, in my opinion. So we did that for, I don't even know how many episodes. And at the time, you know, I knew who David was. In my book, I talked about how I looked up to him a lot because at the time he was working full-time with the law firm. He was doing all the Max Sparky stuff and he had kids at home. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I want to be like that. You know, I referred to him in my book as one of my internet heroes. Mm -hmm. And then one day, I know we're doing Bookworm for probably 60, 70 episodes. Uh, I get an email from David and he's telling me that he's listening to Bookworm and he's uh, hearing me talk about my journey and the struggles and things that I'm going through. And he was just basically reaching out to encourage me. And he kept emailing me like every couple of weeks, which was really, really cool. You know, you're getting an email from one of your, one of your idols. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, not too long after that, he had me on as a guest on Mac power users where we talked about how I do sketch notes and mind maps and stuff like that. I try to be very intentional about my technology use. I think there's some really cool stuff that you can do uh, with the applications, but I want to force myself to to do it in a way that kind of fosters this creative process. Mm-hmm. So I did that episode, which was a thrill. And then not long after that, uh, he reached out about doing a podcast together. Uh, we wanted to talk about productivity. We were going to keep it short. The original idea was for a like 10-minute weekly show called Kaizen, which stands for Small Improvements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we were working on that. I uh, had some outlines done. We're ready to start recording on that. And then uh, the Free Agents podcast that he had been doing with Jason Snell, uh, Jason basically got to the point where he had said everything he wanted to say on the topic. So he was ready to be done. And David, in his opinion, kind of hadn't gotten everything out of his system. So okay. he's like, Jason wants to be done with this. Uh, I want to start this thing with you. But on the other hand, we have this pre-existing show, which maybe we can make this work. You want to just join free agents and we'll talk about the product productivity stuff as part of the process there. Like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. We've already got, you know, sponsors lined up. It's already set up on the relay network. Like that makes a lot of sense. So did that. Um did free agents for a while. I forget exactly which episode it was where we rebranded it. It was about uh, a year ago this time, I believe, maybe two years ago. Uh, but we started to think about after a while, like what's the show we really want to make? And it was this productivity podcast, which was not about three life hacks to help save an hour every day for the rest of your life, but Mm -hmm. just sharing kind of our struggles with the topic of focus. And that really, I think is like David says all the time, this is the superpower in today's economy. If you're able to focus, you're able to do deep, deep work. You know, you're able to if you're able to concentrate intentionally on what you set out to do and follow through with those intentions, that's going to, that's going to get you where you ultimately where you want to go. Uh, that's a, a more and more sought after skill in today's marketplace. Mm-hmm. So um, we started with that topic. Not sure. Uh, I'll speak for myself, I guess. You know, I, I wasn't positive that we were going to have a ton to talk about with that. I thought maybe we would <laughs> okay. get to the end of, of that topic pool uh, fairly quickly. But once we started going with it, you know, this is... This is just becoming more and more important. And you talk to more and more people who are willing to share, you know, their their approaches. Uh, like we had Michael Hyatt on not too long ago. He talked mm-hmm. about like the value of a coach and stuff like that. I mean, those little things like that, those small adjustments, those end up making a, a huge difference. After that episode, I was like, you know what? My, Michael Hyatt's right. I need to find a coach. I started taking guitar lessons. I've played guitar on the worship team at my church for like 15 years, but I'm self-taught yeah. and never had a lesson, you know? And now I started lessons four weeks ago via Zoom and have grown a ton, you know? And I that's as a result of that podcast. And I love I love those those types of things. I love creating those experiences, not just for myself, but for other people. 
And so I don't really foresee Focus ever uh, running out of gas. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so you're, you got Bookworm running now. You've got focused running now. You're now attached to, you've got an independent show. I'll call Bookworm an independent show. Is that is that yep. accurate? Is that fair? It okay. is. Then you've then you've got one that's attached to a much bigger enterprise, right? That is Relay FM. All right. Um, your are you working for the Sweet Setup yet, or are you are you still full time with Agent Efficiency, or where are you at there? Uh, I had been doing some freelance writing for the Sweet okay. Setup. And I actually stopped doing it after a while because uh, the work that I was doing at Asian Efficiency was ended up being fairly similar. Uh, and I had always okay. been very open uh, about what work I was going to do because I did not want to find myself in a conflict of interest. And uh, it was actually the, the CEO who went away to a mastermind. Sean was there and uh, talking about some of the the stuff that he wanted to be doing with the suite setup. Tan came back and it's like, you know, I think there might be a conflict of interest here. I'd appreciate it if you would stop writing over there. Um, mm -hmm. So I did. And then uh, about September of not last year, uh, I think it was the year before, I had, um, I, I was going down to, uh, to Austin because that's where we did our quarterly planning for Asian efficiency. Uh, at the okay. time I was not only running the productivity show, but I was driving a, a lot of the, the quarterly objectives got back, uh, from that quarterly planning and about a week later was let go. So needless to say, that was quite a shock to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at that time, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't really know what to do. Uh, I didn't join up with the suite setup right away. I actually was working really hard on, uh, I've got a faith-based productivity course, which was another one of those things like the book that I knew I just needed to get out of my system to say that yeah. I, I did it. So I worked really hard on that course, launched it, quote unquote, launched it, <laughs> sold a handful of copies. <laughs> uh -huh. yep. uh, and then it wasn't too long after that, that I got connected with Sean. Um, and he basically called me and, and said, uh, I've been thinking about the business model for the suite setup. And it's kind of built on these courses, which I had done the videos for the courses uh, previously, like the Learn Ulysses course and the day one course and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then these in-depth reviews. And he said, basically, you know, uh, you're one of the best people we've ever worked with for either of those. I'd like to make a position for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you yeah. think? And I'm like, um, yes, please. Uh, actually, it was uh, several months before that when I was not sure uh, what was going to happen. I actually was talking to my wife about it. And I'm like, you know, I wish Sean Blanc would just offer me a job. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, awesome. eventually he did. Um, I feel like I'm at the point now, by the way, regarding that, uh, that I probably don't need the regularity of the, uh, of a, of a paycheck per se. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've also learned through doing this that my personality, I prefer to work with a team. Yeah. So there are a lot yeah. of internet creators who are just like, I'm going to build my thing. And I never felt good doing that. I know that I can create quality products and I know that I could sell them and support my family that way. But I much prefer doing work that I love with people that I like. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. All right. So when did, when did Intentional Family come around? Intentional Family came about actually during the pandemic. It was an idea that my wife and I had had for a while. Uh, I am, I don't know how to say this. Um, I, I don't go halfway on anything. And so <laughs> when I'm studying all this productivity stuff, I'm recognizing the value of these systems and I'm getting all excited. I'm like, hey, we could do this in our, our family. you know. And she kind of rolls her eyes and she's like, okay, sure, whatever. Um, so actually, uh, it was maybe four or five years ago, uh, we went away for a, an overnight 
just her and I. And the next morning we were sitting at a coffee shop and we just were thinking through all of the different things that we wanted to create, all the different outcomes we wanted uh, to create in our, our family. And we kind of started with like where we want to end up when our kids leave the house. We want to have a, a strong relationship with them so that like, when they get to high school, they feel comfortable talking to us about anything. Um, and then kind of reverse engineered it like, well, what are the things we got to do on a regular basis, the habits or the routines we got to create in order for that to, to be true? So we identified all these different things and we created like a Schmitz family core values, which I had a graphic designer friend uh, make this big manifesto type graphic that I had framed mm-hmm. and gave it mm-hmm. to my wife for, for Mother's Day. It's hanging in our, our living room. Uh, we've got all these like pie charts for tracking the habits and the routines for our, our kids. And it kind of started because we did this stuff for us. And then people would come over and they'd be like, okay, so what's the deal with that? You know? And then we yeah. kind of tell the story and like what's, what it's supposed to do, uh, the outcome we're trying to get at with that. And then like every single time they're like, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that. Is that okay? Like, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to just share like what we had with these different, different systems. And, uh, we wanted a, a, we figured a podcast would be a, a good way to just like talk through the things and in the process of making all the outlines, maybe there's a book there, maybe there's a course there, whatever. Uh, but we're creating the content that we can then reuse later. Uh, but ultimately what it came down to was we had this idea and it sat on the shelf for a while. And then when the pandemic hit, we recognized that everybody was being forced back home and that was kind of stressful for people. Uh, to put it <laughs> mildly, I guess. Yeah, mildly. Uh, yes. <laughs> but what it did, what, what stress does is it reveals what's really there. And so for some families, for some relationships, what you were left with was the recognition that maybe things weren't quite as well as you thought they were. Um, maybe you were hiding behind the busyness. And we recognized that like, if we really want to help people, now's the time to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm, so we just mm-hmm. got to start recording it and getting it out there. Okay, so so a couple different things. Was was she on board with wanting to... like? So you had experience talking, right? Like You had experience yeah. making podcasts and doing all that stuff. Well, I mean, was she on board or was she, did you have to convince her that the medium was the appropriate medium? No, she was on board. Uh, she actually... I knew she could do it. Because she had guested a couple times on the productivity show back in the day. Okay, okay. And I was always impressed with how how well she did. Uh, I also know that like when you're talking into a microphone, if you have a good relationship with somebody, you don't necessarily need the visual cues. Yep. yep. Video is great. You have a little bit of that. But when you can sit down at a table with somebody, you get a very organic conversation. And I knew that if we could do that and break away from the kids long enough to <laughs> record the episode yeah, without yeah. being interrupted, that's the real yes. key there. You know, yeah. then, uh, the end product was going to be, going to be great. Uh, I also knew she probably would be a little bit nervous about it. I had floated the idea back in January, I think about joining a Toastmasters group together. Mm-hmm. I had joined one previously and it helped a lot. I learned a lot about public speaking. I actually entered a bunch of contests and I uh, did pretty well, you know, and public speaking was another one of those things that like I never really wanted to do. Then once I yeah, started doing it, I realized that just like podcasting, I felt like I could make an authentic connection with people uh, in in real life with public speaking. I felt like I could make an even deeper connection. Like that was the, the ultimate for me in terms of making a connection with your audience. Uh, and so even though I'm still terrified every time I, I set foot on, on stage, you know, I, I know that it's it's worth it. And um, so I had been through that. I had stopped going maybe a year or two prior. And I knew that for someone in my wife's position, this was the thing that's going to get her comfortable. So I'm like, hey, let's just do it together. And we mm-hmm. found a group that met. Uh, the timing was, was right. It was on a Tuesday night, which is typically our date night. So we just worked it into our date night routine. We would go to dinner, we would go to Toastmasters and we go get tea at this little coffee shop that we like. Okay. And, uh, 
we only did that a handful of times before everything got shut down, but she's amazing and uh she improved even quicker than i thought she would (laughs) yeah you know and it was cool to see the confidence that she got uh, from doing that and now when it comes to intentional family it's basically her podcast Uh, i tell people that like i just show up and talk i do the editing i do the publishing because i know how to connect all the pipes but Mm -hmm. all the ideas all the outlines like my wife is driving all of that and she's doing a great job I, I agree. I agree completely. I'm I don't remember how many episodes into it I am, but I listened to like the latest one and then said, Okay, hold on. I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna go back to the very beginning and I'm gonna start at the very beginning. And it's like <laughs> I don't do that like ever with podcasts. So it's like I was like, oh, wait, no, 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 this one this one I need to start from the beginning of. Um last one I want to talk about before we move on to some other things, right? Is and and I I've just not heard of it. I don't know if it's a if it's a thing that people do all the time or if it's what you've coined it as. But sketch notes, right? Just <laughs> tell me what sketch notes are. I mean, I know what you do, right? Like I see your Sunday sermon sketch notes. But is like is sketch noting a thing? Like is this a, an idea that I'm just not familiar with? But go. It is a thing. Uh, so I first heard about the idea of sketch notes when I was working at Asian Efficiency. There's a guy, Mike, Mike Rohde, uh, R-O-H-D-E. He's written a couple of books, the Sketchnote Handbook and the Sketchnote Idea Book. Uh, and when I read those, I basically aligned it with a study that I had read through just studying things for on um, productivity, this uh, Oppenheimer study, which talked mm-hmm. about how students in class who are taking notes on a computer or a keyboard, they are more word for word, capture everything that's said, but they retain basically none of it. Yes. When you absolutely. write down things by hand, you can't go as fast. So you kind of have to synthesize things in your brain before it hits the paper and you retain a lot more information that way. And over the years, I had taken tons of digital notes on sermons and talks and everything. And I realized that I remembered almost none of it. (laughs) So I'm like, I should really give sketch notes a try because that's probably like that synthesizing ideas. It's probably, you know, the 10 X multiplier for that stuff, which in my experience it has been because you're not just hearing the message, but you're thinking through like, what does this look like in picture form? Uh, and for anybody who is interested in the idea sketch notes, but doesn't think of themselves as an artist, I'm not either. There's a post on the sweet setup about my journey. And there's a picture in there of my first sketch note, which is literally like a Moleskine size notebook, mm-hmm. words all the way down and a couple of really bad stick figures. <laughs> And it's evolved quite a bit because you just keep doing it over and over and over again. Uh, For a long time, I was doing it pen and paper. Uh, And the idea there is that you don't go back. You're capturing ideas, not art. Okay, so just get it onto the paper. It's the act of transferring it to the paper that kind of cements it in your brain. Um, Uh, So are you doing are you doing it live or are you doing it after the fact? I'm doing it live. Okay. And there are people that will do it after the fact, uh, but I just I just do it live and I just keep going. And then uh, I think about three years ago, I switched over to using GoodNotes on the iPad with the Apple Pencil. Mm-hmm. And that is just the sweet spot for me with this type of stuff. If I make a mistake, mm-hmm. I can real quickly back up and try it again. You've got like the shape tools, so you don't have to worry about drawing a square. It doesn't look like a square, <laughs> stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So when I was in grad school, the thing that this equates to me is we would do 25 word or 30 word summaries of articles, right? And it, in my mind, it's it's the it's an equivalent, maybe not completely, but it's like it's it's an analog. I guess that's a better way to say it. It's an analog to that kind of a thing, where um, you're just trying to get the big picture, g- get the gist of it, as opposed to de- every detail of 25 pages of crazy, you know, crazy talk. So yeah. It, I, so do you do it with things other than the sermons? I mean, do you do it with every book that you read? Do you like, how do you, where do you draw the line on what gets sketch noted and what doesn't? Yeah. Basically if I attend a talk, I will do a sketch note. So okay. with 
us being as involved with our church as we are. I play on the worship team. I'm the coordinator for the men's ministry. My wife and I co-lead the outreach ministry. Uh, we're there a couple times a week. Well, mm-hmm. typically, not anymore. But yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So I've got lots of opportunities to to practice there. But like when I went and attended the focus course live before I joined on with the sweet setup team, I did sketch notes there. When I go to conferences, I'll typically do sketch notes there. Uh, really, it comes down to what do I want to retain from the talk? Like, what's the goal of the of me listening to the message that I'm about to listen to? You could theoretically even use sketch notes for like listening to an audiobook or even a podcast. But for me, those it's not worth it in that context. When it comes mm-hmm. to the uh, the sermon notes and things, it really is it really is worth it to me because I want to not just come hear a sermon. I want to, <laughs> I want to apply what I, what I hear, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Not just be a hearer, but a, a doer of the word, as they say. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, I actually take it a step further after the sketch notes with the sermon stuff specifically. I've been using an application called Room Research, which allows you to link everything together using these backlinks. I'm not sure if you're mm-hmm. familiar with this type of application or Obsidian and I stuff am, like yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, I am. Yep. So basically uh, what I'm doing now is instead of like writing out the verses in like the chain reference in my physical Bible as we go, I'm just taking the, the sermon notes. Uh, I've got the nomenclature in my sketch notes for like the box around the scripture reference. And then I've got a... Uh, King James Version of the Bible, which is imported into Rome, and then every one of those verses for the page that I attach the the sketch note to, I'm also attaching and or linking to that specific verse. And what that allows me to do is not only have a very quick visual reminder of what was preached in those messages, mm-hmm. um, I've also got you know the benefit of retaining the information uh, just from doing it. But now I've got a digital chain reference library for myself based off of notes that I've taken. So I could, I could go back and I could look at, you know, the notes from this sermon right here. This verse was also referenced in this sermon two years ago, and I can see how those things tie together and kind of do my own study off of uh, things that I've linked in the past and forgotten about. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's really the, the value of that and mind mapping specifically for me. It's figuring out ways to make connections in ways that your brain isn't used to doing, maybe. But also, it's the way that your brain is kind of designed to do it. Uh, I don't want to just collect a bunch of notes because I've done that. They're all sitting in Evernote. I never go back and look for them. Uh, You have to think about what you want to recall, and then you can go search for it and find it. But it's not organic, and there's no value in connecting those dots. Uh, They're not going to show up in any other context to help you in your day-to-day work. And that's kind of the goal with all of the different note-taking I do is thinking about what context do I want to stumble upon this again. Yeah, okay, so so let's get to a higher, kind of an umbrella idea here. You're doing productivity, right? And you're doing it, I'd say, based on need at first, right? Like you need to get better. You want to get better. That way you can do more in the day, be a dad, right? All this stuff, right? Um, your, that evolves into Asian efficiency that evolves into the sweet setup that evolves into focused bookworm, right? Like it kind of, it kind of all wraps around into there. Then you have intentional family, right? Which is the idea of really wanting to change your family, really wanting to be more intentional, uh, forgive me mm-hmm. about the way your family's living and, and, and doing those things. And then you're doing sketch notes, which is a way for you to not just hear the sermon or write down notes for the sermon, but actually apply that more and, and have it be more fluid part of, of your day. Other than the fact that some of those things turned into a job, right? Like the Asian <laughs> efficiency thing and the, and the the sweet setup type deal. You could have done all this without 
putting the content on the internet, right? Like you could have done all this without creating podcasts and without I publishing could. your yep. sketch notes on your website. Yep. So why? Like, what's the <laughs> umbrella thing that says like, oh, I'm going to take it the next step? Because it's not a trivial step, is it, right? Like you find hosting. You actually have to figure out how to record well. Yeah. You actually have to figure out how to brand and market. And, you know, you want to look professional. Why? Like, why take it to the next step of actually putting it out there? That's a great question. Uh, I think the answer may be different, too, for um, maybe the different projects. But overall, I would say that for me, the that putting it out there helps cement it even further in my own mind. Uh, it's kind okay. of like teaching it to somebody else as a way of retaining it myself. So there's a selfish application of this. <laughs> uh, but some of this stuff, I never intended for it to be public. Like the sketchnote videos that you were talking about earlier, that was something that I've been taking the sketchnotes for years and it wasn't until I met somebody at the Max.conference Conference and Expo last year, uh, Bodie Quirk, who is a pastor in California, who I've kept in touch with ever since then. And um, he was telling me, dude, your sketch notes are awesome. You need to share them. And I'm like, nobody wants to see these. <laughs> like maybe one time they'll look at it and be like, oh, that's a cool visual style but they're not going to keep coming back for it. He's like, no, no, bro, yeah. really? You got to like make these quick videos and explain the thought process behind creating these. And I'm like, I'll give it a shot, you know, which is yeah. why like they're not on YouTube because I'm not sure I want them to be discoverable yet. <laughs> it's still kind of an experiment. That's so good. Like, I don't know if you if you were looking at the notes or not, but it's like you have them on Vimeo. And one of my questions is, why aren't these on YouTube? Yeah. Like, these could inherently or naturally just bubble up and, and people could, you know, could love them. So go ahead. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think they, they probably should be at some point. I think I started those in June or July of this year. And again, it was just an experiment. And it was basically get Bodie off my back. <laughs> like there I did it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I realized that... I could do them fairly efficiently. It only takes me about an hour to record one of those 10-minute screencasts. I do, do it off the cuff, and it's stuff that like I do it after I get back from church, so it's fresh. It's easy for me to mm -hmm. talk about, and then I don't do any editing. I export the video, throw it up there, embed it on a web page. Bam, done. And uh, the first one that I did, uh, I had no intention of this, but some of the people from my church uh, stumbled upon it. And it was the Monday morning after I published the first one that I got a text message from my pastor. And he said, you know, this is really encouraging to me because you give a message and you're not sure, like, who's getting it, who's not. Did it make any difference? You know, so he basically was saying that this is encouraging to me personally to see what you're getting from it. And I've heard from several other people since then that they use it as like a review of pastor's message during the week. Oh, yeah. And again, not what I intended at all, but I'm like, okay, cool. If it supports my pastor, then I'll embrace this as like a little mini un unofficial ministry, <laughs> you know, to, yeah, to support exactly, him. Exactly. So yeah. at this point, you know, I don't see my, I don't anticipate that I'll, I'll stop doing it, but I also am like still kind of confused why people like it. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's it's a different in my mind. It's a different version of you know the Bible Project. Yeah, You're familiar with that? Mm -hmm. Like it, it's a different version of the Bible Project, right? Because sure, um, there is something, uh, and I hope I say this in a way that doesn't that you don't that doesn't come across the wrong way. They're insanely produced videos, right? Like those they're Bible Project so videos. so well done. Oh, oh my gosh. Like they're, you can just tell like there is a team of like nineteen people on the back end that are like <laughs> putting all that together and doing all this stuff. But there is something natural about or something enjoyable about like, okay, this is a person doing a thing for themselves because it benefits them. And look how, um, what's the word? Uh, I want to keep saying natural, but that's not, that's not the right word. Uh, organic. Right? It's like, look how organic this is. And by the way, I'm learning the Bible at the same time. Like I'm watching this. So it's a win-win. It's like I get to watch a cool video from somebody <laughs> and I'm getting to learn, getting to learn more about it. So 
I like them. I think they're cool. I think they should be on YouTube. But you know, I'm gonna agree with with your friend in California, your pastor friend in California, that uh, you know you kind of need to need to step up your game there and get those onto a right. more algorithmic <laughs> uh, medium, if you will. Um, okay, so so let's go to uh, let's let's move a little bit forward. Have I missed anything in terms of ways that you talk to the internet? Because you talk in a lot of different ways. Have you have I missed any ways? Man. I don't know, to tell you the truth. Um, at this point, it kind of feels like my uh, focused co-host, David Sparks, he says all the time that he feels like he doesn't have a single unpublished thought. I kind of feel the same way, uh, but it's hard for me to keep track of the different avenues that stuff gets published. <laughs> to. You're, just, um, you're, just, you're just a machine right now, right? Like you just turn, like the crank just turns and you put out stuff, right? Well, kind of, but that's not me specifically. I don't think I'm unique in that, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, in fact, I'm focused recently. We talked about productivity and creativity and the balance there. And I really do believe that creativity is a formula. That if you connect enough dots, then eventually you will create something. Uh, and that's just going to be the natural byproduct of the dots that you've collected. Uh, one of the most influential books that I ever read was Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon. And actually, before I read that book, I did not think that I was creative at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I used to, uh, like when in college, when I picked up the guitar, I really enjoyed writing songs. But I would write a song, you know, spend hours writing the song. And then the next day you hear a song on the radio and you're like, oh, I totally just ripped off that melody line or that chord progression, whatever. And I got yeah. super discouraged and I was like, man, some people maybe can just sit down and create, but I can't do it. I guess I just am not creative. And then when I read that book by Austin Cleon, that was the first time that basically I had given, uh, he gave me permission to consider myself creative. And at that point it was just like, oh, okay. So I just got to connect some dots. I got to get better dots. I, yeah, I gotta yeah. be be careful, you know, what I not I say careful, uh really just curate what you're listening to, what you're reading, what you're watching. There's a lot of stuff that we just do by default, you know, and that's kind mm -hmm. of the common common theme behind pretty much everything that I do is don't just succumb to the default, but apply some intentionality and pick the things that you want to uh to put in. Um, and then when you do that, like you'll get some cool stuff that comes out yeah. and then don't be afraid yeah. to share it. Even if you think that it, it's terrible, like my yeah. <laughs> sketch note saying, videos, like, <laughs> like putting sketch note videos on YouTube, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, comparison is, is deadly, uh, for with sketch notes specifically, you know, I still don't think mine are that great. When you look at some of the other ones that are out there, there's some really crazy, phenomenally talented artists who do sketch notes way better than I ever could. But again, it's ideas, not art. Mm -hmm. Same thing mm -hmm. with podcasting. When I started, uh, I mean, I was listening to Steven and Mike and David and Jason and all of the people at Relay. And I'm like, man, mm -hmm. those guys are polished. Like they are so good. I can't ever do what they're doing, you know? And the truth is you don't know that that's true. It may be, you know, maybe that, maybe that is true. Uh, but if it is, I would say it's a result of a fixed mindset and it's your own fault. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're willing to apply yourself and you're willing to grow and change and figure out how to overcome obstacles, I mean, you can create the future that you want. You can achieve those goals. Uh, I hate the word goals. I feel like well, that's a whole nother tangent, but you know, just <laughs> if you're willing to, to try, and you're willing to honestly look at your performance and be like, what can I do better? And be willing yeah. to learn from it and try again. You know, that's that's where you'll discover a lot of things about yourself that you never thought you could do. Like yeah. podcasting terrified me. Public speaking terrified me. All of the things that I'm doing right now I, at one point in my life terrified me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and the, you know, the, the thing to that I always think about too, is like everybody starts somewhere. Yep. Right. It's like by the time you're hearing people, a lot of times they're, you know, deep, deep into the process, but you know, some, everybody starts somewhere. So I'm sure the sketch note people who did it at first, they might've been really good artists, but they might've told a terrible story as they were, as they were doing their sketch notes and then their story got better and their story got better and their story got better. Yep. You know, whereas, 
I just keep, I always remember that. It's like, okay, if I want to do a thing, just try to start it. And then in my, my thing is persistence, right? It's like, can I persist long enough to get to where I think the quality should be? And that's, that's the one I have to keep reminding myself is like persist, persist, persist. You had a reason for starting this mm-hmm. persist, you know? Yeah. And then just keep trying to get better and stop comparing yourself to yes. Mac power users or whatever other show that's on episode 500, you know, that you want to <laughs> sound like on episode five, you're not going to sound like episode 500 of MPU. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Exactly. And that's, yeah. that's completely okay. You know? Yeah. All right. So, so in tying into that, what keeps you going, right? You got a, you have a lot of stuff on your plate, right? Um, what keeps you making all of the shows that you make? What keeps you making all of the video content that you make writing, doing all this stuff? You know, why, what's your motivation? (laughs) Well, in, uh, my video course for faith-based productivity, I teach this concept called a life theme and other people will have different versions of it. Basically, it's like a one-sentence summary of why you do what you do. And Mm -hmm. for me, life theme is to help people answer the question, why am I here, by encouraging, inspiring, and teaching them to connect to their calling, discover their destiny, and live the life they were created for. So the reason that I create the things, the reason that I try to help people make the most of the talent and the time that they have available to them is because that's what really charges my batteries. That's what really gives me life. And you can create stuff uh, for a long time and not know if it's making any sort of difference. When I self-published the the book, you know, it didn't sell a ton of copies. It didn't change my life. Uh, (laughs) but it was, it it did, uh, it did get, get the message out. And there have been a handful of people who like six months after it was published, a year after it was published, uh, even somebody recently, they come across it, they reach out, um, and they say, this really helped me. Uh, I love that kind of stuff. There was one person specifically, they sent me an email, and they, they, big long email, like, you don't know who I am, but I bought your book, and at the time, you know, I was depressed i was thinking about suicide and you gave me a reason to keep going you know yeah it sounds self-serving even sharing a a story like that and that doesn't happen every day but when it does it makes it all worthwhile no i I, i'll tell you the same thing with teaching right i mean you teach so many students and every once in a while that one student will write you an email or you know you'll get a note from them or they'll come back and visit or whatever and they're like, you have no idea what this class did or what your interactions every day meant for this. Guy. And, it's, and it's the kind of stuff that makes you go, oh, yeah, that's why I do what I do. Like, that's why you, you know, every day you're, you're putting in the time and the effort and things like that. So I, I totally understand. I totally understand where you're coming from. On that topic, real quickly, um, I'll also say that I always try to pay it forward. So I shared, you know, how David mm-hmm. was emailing me and encouraging me. Uh, I don't think that I'm this big shot celebrity, but I do recognize that I have an audience now that follows me and I get the occasional request from somebody to come on their podcast or whatever. And uh, honestly, like the size of the show uh, doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, I know that like There've been a handful of people. David was one. Chris Bailey was another when we were just starting Bookworm. Uh, reached out to him. And he's a New York Times bestselling author, you know, and he uh, did a TED talk. The TED organization called him the most productive man you'd ever hope to meet, <laughs> and just a super nice guy who's like, yeah, yeah exactly. sure, I'll come on your podcast and we'll nerd out about mechanical keyboards and the writing process and how I write everything in text edit, you know, and stuff like that. And uh, at the time, I remember thinking, like, wow, this is so cool that he's he's willing to do this. And yeah. people have done that for me. I feel like I have an obligation wherever I can to do that for other people. Yeah, that's, awesome. I mean, there. I'm sure there are people who think of success and leadership specifically. Like, leadership is a fascinating topic to me. But a lot of people think of leadership as, I'm going to climb this ladder when I get to the top and I build up a name big enough, then I'll be able to have everybody do everything for me. Yep. And 
John Maxwell is like the leadership guy, right? The five levels of leadership. He wrote a whole book on mm-hmm. it. He talks mm-hmm. about how the further up you go in leadership, the less and less it's about you. It's more yeah. about the people that you are leading. And I I want that I want that to be true of of me, you know, that when whatever team I I am leading, whatever audience I am speaking to, that they never think Mike Schmitz is here to build up his brand. You know, I want uh, th- those connections that I was talking about earlier that I, I really enjoy making with people. Uh, I love making people feel like they are the most important person yeah. in the world. Yeah. My wife and I actually have, we, we went th- through a book called um, Life and Air, I think it was. And we developed like all these different statements about, um, what sort of impact we want to have on people. And one of the phrases that we landed on is we want to make people feel like a million bucks, even if we don't have a million bucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember you saying that in the show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's, that's awesome. That's uh, the most important thing to me. In fact, Chris Bailey, you know, going back to him in the productivity project, one of the things that really impacted me when I read that is he talks about how people are the reason for productivity. A lot of people think about productivity as efficiency, cranking out enough mm-hmm. widgets, getting my work done as quickly as I can. But I like his definition because why are you cranking the widgets? Why are you trying to do the things efficiently as efficiently as you can? Uh, and w- as the more you get into creative stuff, the less that, that definition really applies. But the principle, I think, is true of everybody in every situation. Like if you are really looking to be productive, it can't be for a self-serving uh and it can't be a self-serving goal that you're you're after. You, the only way that that really works and is really sustainable is if there is somebody else benefiting yeah. from it on the other side, whether that's the people who are closest to you or the people that you're talking to in your your show or the people who are reading your book or or whatever. Mm-hmm. All right, so I have one I have one more main question, and then we'll get to the unlightening round. So, if you had to give advice to others who are interested in talking on the internet. And I know it's hard because there are so many different ways to talk on the internet, but it's like, if you had to give advice to them, what would you give? What advice would you give them? You be you. (laughs) There's a a lot of people who have reached out to Joe and I specifically regarding Bookworm, for example, who are like, hey, we want to try and do a version of your show. That's fine. Like, We don't have a corner on the market on shared learning. Go ahead and try Uh it, but... Uh, my experience, like if you're trying to recreate something that somebody else has done, uh, it's never going to be at the same level of quality and you just got to find your, uh, what do they call it in the, the legend of Baker Vance, your authentic swing, you know? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Which is probably yeah. going to be a, a mishmash of all the different things that push your buttons, you know, but, uh, so you can use like the fact that you like this show as an inspiration, but I would just shake everything up and, and figure out what is really exciting to you and do that thing. Uh, in my book, I talk about the root word, the Latin root for the word passion, which is petit, okay. and it means to suffer. So most people think of follow your passion as like <laughs> do what you really love. Yeah. That's not it at all. And that's where like, if you try to follow somebody else's formula, it's not going to work because it's going to be hard. It's going to be way harder than you thought it was going to be. And you're going to quit. <laughs> yeah, for But sure. when yeah. you are really excited about something, the suffering doesn't matter. You know, you're willing to go through some stuff in order to see this thing, see the light of day. And if you're authentic and if you're passionate about it, if you are excited about it, uh, then you will attract other people who are, authentically excited about the same sort of thing. Awesome. Awesome. Great advice. Great advice. All right, let's do it. Let's hit the unlightning round. If we hit play on your phone, iPad, computer, whatever it is, right, what would we hear immediately start playing? You would probably hear connected uh, via overcast. (laughs) Okay, let's go with the next one. Uh, your overall favorite content on the internet. Mm, man, that's tough. The podcast medium is my favorite medium, 
because there's something about the spoken word that you can have it playing in the background on during your commute, doing chores around the house, whatever, but it feels like you are uh, you are making an authentic connection with the people that you are listening to. It's like you have a mm-hmm. seat at the table, even if you'd never met them before, which was really important for me when I started listening to the podcast because I'm in small town, Wisconsin. There's nobody here that I could hang out with who's excited about yeah. productivity and Apple stuff the way that, that I am. Uh, yeah. So my favorite, I guess if I'm going to narrow that down, then my favorite content uh, podcast-wise... Jeez, probably accidental tech podcast. Okay, uh, I listen to okay. every single episode, and I just love their their banter. I love John Syracuse yeah. specifically. Listen to him. I since say you need, you need to learn. You need to learn more about toasters and how you fit refrigerators into your into your kitchen. Exactly. Right? Like yep. that's that's why you listen to that. <laughs> all right, all right. So the next one would be if we pulled open YouTube. Right. I don't want to know the first video, but I want to know what content area would we see the most of? Like, what would the algorithm trying to be oh, feeding man. you? <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, I'm never in YouTube. Uh, okay. Okay. So that rules. That kind of rules that one out. Well, I think probably. Uh, so I, actually, I take that back. I do have a YouTube account because going back to like the Rome research stuff, uh, you can embed YouTube videos in Rome. And I'm doing these guitar lessons, so I actually have a bunch of videos that I upload as unlisted videos and then embed them in Rome. So you'd probably something see something about playing electric guitar. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Overall, your favorite personality on the internet? Mm, probably Michael Hyatt. I've gotten to talk to a lot of really cool people uh, through the Focus podcast. But Michael Hyatt, uh, I remember talking to him and being very impressed with how authentic he seemed. I mean, he's he's a busy guy. He's got a lot of things mm-hmm. that he's doing. But you could tell when we were recording that episode that he was totally focused on us and, and what he was doing. You don't always get that impression when you're talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right, so I put you on a desert island, right? And you only have enough power to power one player of sorts, right? It can be something that plays video, something that plays audio, whatever it is. And you're only allowed to watch or listen to one thing for the rest of your life. What's the one thing you're going to watch or listen to for the rest of your life? Man. And you can listen. Okay, so here, here's the caveat. You can do like the entire season or seasons or... If they're making a show that's like week by week, they can you can have every week of it, right? Like, okay. but that's the only thing you're ever going to get for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, I, I have no idea. Um, I'll share one thing. I don't know if this is the official answer, but <laughs> there is a TV show that I mean, I don't typically watch a lot of TV, but there is a TV show that I have consistently watched ever since it was released probably in early 2000s uh it's a canadian comedy show called corner gas i've heard of corner gas i've actually watched the (laughs) first season or so okay yeah yeah. so there's six seasons uh for the actual tv show i haven't gotten into the animated one uh, but those six seasons i have watched over and over and over and over and over again (laughs) okay all right we'll take it we'll take that as an answer um, all right, so last one, a creator, a show, or some content that you think is on the rise, right? It's something that people should check out that they might not have heard of or they might not currently know about. Uh, I'm going to say Matt Ragland. He, we interviewed him a while back for the Focus podcast. Um, he has a YouTube channel, and he has for a while. Uh, he's kind of known as the, the bullet journal guy, and for a long time it was a side project he was working full-time for Podia, I think, and ConvertKit before then. But he recently um, went independent, and I've been very impressed with the quality of the work since he he did that. I know his YouTube channel is really growing since he's been able to focus on it, and the courses that he's been able to release have been 
top notch in my opinion. So I'm excited to see what he does in the future. Perfect. All right, Mike, tell people where they can learn more about you and the work that you do. Mm. Well, (laughs) hard to point them in just one place. Faithbasedproductivity.com is my site, and there you will find the sermon sketch notes and links to all the podcast stuff. So whenever a new episode goes out, I try to post about it there. Uh, A lot of the tech stuff happens at thesweetsetup.com. And the uh, the podcast can all be found uh, their own URLs. Focused is relay.fm slash focused. Bookworm is bookworm.fm. Intentional family is intentionalfamily.fm. Wonderful. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Mike, thanks for being on the show. If you want to learn more about this podcast, you can go either on Twitter at at TTTI podcast or check us out on talkingtotheinternet.com. Thanks so much for learning with us. Shwa Shwa Production.